0: If you have your bible with you we're going to uh we're in um looking at our statement of our kind of the core values of this church this church is a hundred uh plus years old more than 110 years old is that right um and uh, not 120 yet but getting there so um anybody original members no good uh, just checking um just checking never know um But um, as as God works in a church over a long period of time, there are things that become evident in the character of the congregation. And the things that we talk about here in the statement are things that become evident for us. They're the things that um, we've been able to look back. And we can tell stories about all these different things. We can talk about experiencing the hand of God in our lives. There is story after story after story of the way God has done that in and through the people of this congregation. We can talk about God's generosity. We can talk about God's gifts. We can talk about the fact that we like to build relationships with people in the neighborhood. Um, our relationship with solidarity is a, is a great example of that. Um, the neighborhoods have changed and we've moved. And uh, many of us that used to live really close to the church don't live really close to the church. And so um, the church is where you are. It's not just where the buildings are. And so it's important to remember that. And uh, as we go forward as a congregation, the call is to be um, congruent with our values that we have experienced and build them into new ways of being church so that we lower people's resistance to change because we've got to change. We've got to keep changing so we can move forward and invite other people to come in and care for those values, but they may have a whole different way of getting things done. And so if they do, uh, God bless them, and we can support what God's up to in people's lives. Um, throughout the service, uh, some of you, I, I just feel like I need to explain a couple of things. Many of you during our songs and stuff have come over and lit candles over here. We have that. So at any time during the service, if you would like a candle that's representative of a prayer you have for someone or something, please do that. You can get up during the sermon and do it. it makes no difference to me. And um, over here to my left, we have uh, an offering opportunity. So if you came this morning and you have an offering with you, you can leave it there. And uh, we appreciate that as well. As we keep working through this, last week we looked at um, we've experienced the the hand of God in our lives, and what it meant to have God's hand on us, and how that looks and feels. This week, we're looking at um, how to live generously, or what does it mean for us to be motivated to serve generously in our world. So pray with me and we're gonna to get to the text and then to the sermon. God may your word speak. To our heads, to our hearts, to our hands, in Jesus' name. Amen. First Timothy chapter six, verses seventeen through nineteen. But as for those who in the present age are rich, Command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of the life that really is life. And then there's a little verse for Timothy, a young person who's leading uh, this mission that Paul is writing to. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid the profane chatter and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have missed the mark as regards the faith. Grace be with you. Through Jesus Christ, we experience the hand of God in our lives, which motivates us to be of service and to live generously with our local communities in the world. We're hands-on people engaging in creative, inspired, and timely ministries while building relationships with those we serve. Grace is, by definition, a gift. I always laughed. We had uh, some friends from Germany who used to visit a church I, I served, and uh, we had this relationship back and forth with these folks from Eastern Germany. And in, we would talk about gift, and they would giggle all the time. And it's like, well, what's so funny? They said, in German, gift means poison. And it's, if you say gift in German... It's poison. They always thought that was a big joke. And it's like, no, it's not poison. It is a gift. It comes out of the Greek word charis, from which we get all kinds of words. Charismatic, charisma, charm, all find their root in that word that means gift. By grace, we have been saved through faith. This is the gift of God. So there is nothing to boast about for any of us. Would we heed these words when I think about it? How many Christians do we know that are so right that they're wrong? How many Christians do we know that are so right that they claim to know things that they don't know? This grace that we have is a gift, treated as such, It's not generated by your intelligence. It's not generated by your effort. It is completely one-sided. God gives it to you. Your only task is to receive it. I've seen all kinds of theological positions from the most conservative to the most progressive when it comes to claiming truth or grace. And they get it wrong. Unearned, unwarranted, at times it's even unasked for. It just comes. It's freely given, and there's no strings attached. The grace of God is given to us, and you don't have to do a thing. If you don't respond to it positively, if you don't respond to it in generosity and, and care for others, it's still given. And it's still full of meaning and it's still waiting for you, no matter what. So think about it just a little bit. Outside the gift of the life of Jesus given for you, what um, gift have you seen or what gift could you imagine that is undeserved, that would overwhelm you? Take a moment. Think about it. What gift could you imagine, apart from the gift of the life of Jesus, that would be so overwhelming, you'd be speechless? Take a moment. So what's your response to it? You know, I, every time we do communion, we, we have a prayer that says thanks. And I'll often say, God, it's such a small little word, but it's all we've got to say what we know and understand about the free gift of your Son. What does an overwhelming gift do to you? Does it make you humble? Does it make you speechless? Does it want something in return? Do you want to do something in return? Does it make you sort of shy? Do you, do you sometimes feel embarrassed because you don't know what to do? do you, does it make you feel beholding as though there needs to be a response Now imagine that you know that that gift places no demands on you, whatever. Imagine that it places no demands on you except to take it. What does it do in you? I have a friend, Charles Wiley, he, was, uh, he worked in the theology unit when I used to work for our national church, and, and Char- Charles, um, a great thinker, a great thoughtful person, and he was trying to um, come up with a way of talking about uh, what it means for us to be Presbyterians. Not that that really matters to very many people, but um, trying to say, you know, what's distinctive? About this, and we have all kinds of words. Believe me, that we think are distinctive. My uh, some of them are my least favorite. Um, we talk about ourselves as being decent and orderly, like that's attractive. We're we're decent and orderly people. But we don't get out. We don't color outside the lines. We like to keep it all sort of right in the box, um, and that that doesn't do much for people. It's not particularly attractive, but. It's a way we've talked about ourselves in the past. Sometimes we use this theological word, we're a covenantal people, a covenant people. What does that mean? You know, I, I, I know what, it, what the covenants, restrictions, and whatever that I have in my neighborhood that I have to sign a paper on and agree to abide by. And a covenant is, a, is a, like a contract, but it's more of a promise. And so we sometimes talk about ourselves as being a covenant people. We have these covenants with God. It goes all the way back to, to Moses and Noah, Abraham, and comes right up to Jesus. And we talk about that. Sometimes we talk about, people will talk about Presbyterians as being, well, we're predestined. As so though we didn't have a choice. And it's not what, Calvin men by not by what uh, a lot of people think of, but sometimes we talk about that, that we're predestined. Therefore, you can't help but being a Presbyterian if you are one, and you can never become one if you aren't. And this just sort of happens, you know, it's predestined by God. And he, Charles uh, rejected all that because they all feel rather cold and lifeless in themselves. I mean, we've been described as a people as God's frozen chosen. And I know other uh, denominations that have tried to co-opt that. Uh, But we get it. It's ours. We'll wear it proudly, I guess. But Charles said, you know, when I look at the life of the church and I think about us theologically, we are a people who have been given grace And we respond with gratitude. And I like that. I think Charles hit on something that is both something I have experienced growing up in the church and being part of this and coming to faith in, in this denomination. And also at the same time, what I've experienced as time goes on, that I've experienced grace, this incredible gift in Jesus this incredible gift of the people of God, this incredible gift of life itself. And I've experienced that. I t- still experience it. And my response to it is to say thank you. Amen. It's gratitude. Gratitude can sometimes be repl- have an adjective given to it. And that adjective can be generous. I am generously thankful. I give gratitude generously. Showing kindness. Generous means that we show a kindness to others. Or it's a readiness to give more of something, money or time, than what is normal or expected or demanded. To be generous is to give more. More than what anybody would expect. Wealth is indeed fickle. Like all things... I'm getting a big echo in the room. Are you guys getting that? My volume kind of went up. And I don't know what happened. So if I could bring that down, it would be really helpful. Just a little bit. Um, But... um, Like all things, wealth can become an idol. Anything that is good can become bad, except Jesus. Anything good can become bad. Any gift can become a negative as well as a positive. And so I'm, I'm well aware that wealth, like all things, can become something more than a tool. It can be something that we focus on. An idol is anything that will catch your gaze and hold it. Idolatry is the chief sin of the Old Testament and the New. It isn't a bunch of other stuff. It's idolatry. You can have a theological position that you think is true and it can become an idol because it holds your gaze. You can have a position about moral behavior, and it can hold your gaze, and it can become an idol because it's not intended to replace God or engagement or relationship. When it does become that, it promises something that it simply cannot deliver. When wealth becomes something that we focus on for our happiness, for our enjoyment, for our well-being... It can't deliver what it promises or what you think it will give. It's just as what our text reminds us. Plain talk about money. What about people who are rich in this present world? Tell them not to think of themselves too highly. In other words, you got a lot of money, it doesn't get you any status. Tell them not to think of themselves too highly and to set their hopes not on something so uncertain as riches, but set their hopes on God, who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. People are to do good with what they have, to be rich in good works, generous and eager to share they will then see life as it really is. If you are generous with the things of this world, of the gifts you've been given, then you will see life as it's intended to be. There's a way of using the word mean. It doesn't mean being um, mean-spirited to somebody. It means being cheap. You can be mean towards people. You can be cheap. And it can really be a problem. Grace, gratitude, sharing generously. At this time in the life of our church, it's important for us to pay attention, maybe that was the problem, um, but to pay attention—that <laughs> helped, didn't it? Um, and and to pay attention to how we spend our money, just a little bit. So over the years, this congregation has uh, taken in quite a bit of money, and it's given away a lot of money. And we have we have money in the bank. We have endowments, and we have. Uh, gifts that are designated funds for certain things. And we've been able to uh, accumulate quite a bit. We use some of that for, for current expenses as well. And, and it's important for you to know how your leadership is thinking and acting towards the money we've got. So we have a number of accounts that represent the faithful giving of people from the past and some here in this room. And it's gone to individuals and it's gone to organizations that we've wanted to encourage because they believe in what they're doing. And we give them a gift. And it doesn't have any restrictions other than use it for what your ministry is. And we hold these monies in trust. Some of them are in in bank accounts where we have more money than what we give to these organizations every year. And... um, and we've made these determinations recently that when applicable, when we can do it, rather than hold on to these monies and, and give it out a little bit at a time to certain organizations, we've decided in the last year or so, we've been giving the full amount to people to use it as they need to. Why? Because the temptation is for us as an organization, to live off of it. And it's not intended for us to live off of. It's intended for us to give it away. And I think it's been a very faithful move of the leadership of your church to think about this. We've got a a lot of different examples of it, but where we held on to a certain amount for school, and we held on to a certain amount for other ministries, and... uh, we've been able to write a check to them and let it go. Well, what's the temptation? Well, you know, if we hold on to it and put it in investments, then we get the interest off that and we can grow that and we can delay having to borrow money or, or having to raise more money from each other. The interesting that happened about, oh, last spring or a year ago, was a lot of our money was in investments, and we saw it just go like that. And so what was this much that could be given to somebody was now this much. It wasn't back to what the original gift was, but it had shrunk. And our belief is we need to make sure we're faithful in giving it away, even if it means we have to be more faithful here in supporting the work that we do. We could have held on, we could have added to our investments, we could have gotten more interest, but it wouldn't have been faithful, and it wouldn't have been gracious, and it wouldn't have been generous. The size of the deficit in our church is equal to the amount of money we spend each year on maintaining the facility. We have to make up that much every year to make things balanced. If you're here today and, and you're new to this church, these are just sort of the inside family conversations. But I think it's good to be honest with everybody. Our leadership has had conversations that will say things like, well, what if we had to let go of all of this? So we don't waste what God's given us. I'm so impressed that we even say that. That's a big statement. 100-plus years people have worked hard and they they made this happen. But what if you had to let go of it? Would that be okay? If it meant we could do the work of being generous with what God's given us, rather than mean and self-centered, and spending it only on us, then it would be a good thing. It would be the right thing. I don't know what the answer is. It doesn't mean that we're not to be good stewards of what we've been given, but we shouldn't place our hope in the things we've accumulated. Live generously. Think about this. And I'll bring us back to just not the church's condition but your condition you've been given whatever you have you didn't deserve it some of you think you earned it but if you look back to the very beginning of the very fact that you can think and act and breathe and move those are all gifts from God you uh, if you're a student and you're studying God gave you a mind to pay attention these are not things that that you earned they're a gift So to be generous with what you've been given is a small step towards doing what Jesus told us to do. He said, deny yourself and daily take up your cross and follow me. Jesus was completely generous with his life. And we're called, even in small ways, To be like Jesus, and he writes in his commentary on this says, "If you're generous, it won't be a grudging, oh, all right, then. It will flow from your heart because you'll be responding to the overwhelming gift of God, and it'll touch you and it'll move you, and you'll be generous." And eager to share. Do you want to know if it's true that if we become a more generous church, what will happen? We don't know. Will you have less individually? Perhaps. But I can tell you this much being a generous people is appealing, it's attractive it would be something people would stand up and pay attention to, even now. May we be a generous people. Pray with me. God, people in the past, before there were buildings, before there was a vision of all this church could be and do, before the hundreds, if not thousands of people this church has invested in lives over the years, Before any of that, you put generosity in the hearts of the people that went before us. So God, we would ask that we would put all that we have in your hands for your use and rejoice when we see the abundance you create. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.